welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. Sherry Foose is a licensed marriage and family therapist who holds a Master of Arts in Clinical Psychology from Antioch University, Los Angeles, and a Master of Science in Narrative Medicine from Columbia University. As a sought-after expert on the subjects of relationships and meaningful connection, Sherry's writing and commentary have appeared in a range of online and print publications, including Real Simple, Huffington Post, Thrive, Shondaland, Women's Health, and Bustle. We're all susceptible to a certain amount of influence that can negatively shift our self-perspective and our perspective of dissimilar cultures and people both near and far. So whether those influences come from our own community, popular culture, or machine learning, artificial intelligence, there's little we can do to avoid it. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the narrative method, and Sherry's going to let us in on the practice of relational awareness in business, education, and everyday life to build meaningful human connections and reframe perceptions of others through storytelling. Please join me in welcoming Sherry Boos. All right. So this week, I am excited to have Sherry Boos with me. I am so excited. I never thought I needed a marriage and family therapist, but you know, I think everyone probably does these days. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk to you. And, you know, I have a personal interest, I think, because uh, most people know that my husband was a storyteller. And a lot of, I think, what you're going to talk about, I actually have seen in practice and can probably testify in some instances as to the efficacy, just because I've watched him for so long. So I am excited to have you here and would love to hear you tell us a little bit about the practice of relational awareness as we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how we can create better connections. Fantastic. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here. So when you talk about getting better for yourself, we, we do internal work, right? So maybe we do mindfulness or yoga or meditation or go to one-on-one therapy or talk to a friend. And all those things work and they're powerful and they're important. However, we are beyond our own understanding of ourselves, dependent on meaningful connections with other people. And everyone you encounter is a relationship doesn't matter that it's short. We all have had short relationships. But everyone you interact with, everyone you work with, it still counts. So let's learn the skills that make the communication so much better that we not only avoid negative interactions, but we expand our capacity to to share meaning in moments in our lives, in a supermarket checkout line or at work with someone who you were never even formally introduced to. So relational mindfulness is really about using an awareness of yourself 
and your surroundings and the wonderment of the world around you and other people and the appreciation that everyone has a mind and an experience unique to them. And no matter how much we may feel put out or confused about a relationship, they've got the same thing going on. And then the final piece of awareness and wonder is empathy. And that spells awe. So for relational mindfulness, we can live in a state of awe and notice and appreciate and experience ourselves in relation to others. Oh, that's awesome. I love that awe. I would love to just be in a constant state of awe. Yeah. Well, so would I. I mean, (laughs) that's the thing. And, And I really think it's so important for everybody to know. I guess the Dalai Lama and there are a bunch of other people, I'm sure they they get to a certain level of just a plateau of evenness and love. Well, I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever get there. But what I do know is that we all struggle with the same internal insecurities to different degrees at different times. But because we all know the entire menu of emotions when we're listening to someone else, when we put ourselves aside, we hear them, we can imagine from their perspective. So even if someone does something that it just feels unfair to us, if we listen from their perspective, we might be able to understand their thinking. It doesn't mean that we don't need to clear things up between us, But that understanding is really helpful, not just because you understand that maybe there was no malicious intent, but also because it's that kind of understanding that makes us feel known. Oh, I never would have thought of that. That's why you did that. When we feel known, we can be loved for who we are. When we don't really reveal ourselves because it doesn't feel safe or we don't want to be vulnerable, we're kind of alone. Yeah, that's that is so interesting to me because I think it also there's this level of curiosity that you have to have, right, to ask some of the right questions. And and sometimes we don't we don't we don't even ask the question, so we can't get to know anybody. So, can you talk a little bit about cuz these days there are so many things that people are talking about with respect to like microaggressions? And some of the negative, you know, messages that are coming through. Can you talk about how we can combat some of those knowing that, you know, you have this relational awareness of it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what what do we do with that? It's a great question. And I think, you know, in, in addition to microaggressions that we may be aware of, there are all kinds of things that can hurt other people's feelings. Obviously, a racist or a sexist or, you know, whatever innuendo may be obvious. But here's one way that it's really not hard. If you speak about things that are, you know, trying to communicate with other people with an awareness that they're not you, You can use shorthand with your friends, but you might not be able to do it with someone who you're just meeting. And to try and put yourself in their position, even as you're speaking, your brain is capable of doing a lot of things at once. And and this is a skill 
Now, on the other side of it, I would really urge all of us, and this is the hard part because we're really broken into teams in a lot of ways, me against you. If everyone would be willing to take a a humble step back and realize, um, I don't know about you, I make mistakes all the time. You know, yesterday uh, I almost ran into a car because I was looking at my phone. I had to stop short. It was impossible to stop short, but I did. You know, the humility of realizing, what am I doing? If I don't care about myself, it's one thing. But what about those people who are innocent? Right. So it's not about being perfect. It's about being willing to have a, a, a broader mind about things. If we could explain to people who say things that are offensive, in an optimistic way, I, I just want to tell you that that pushed my buttons. Or obviously, it depends on the situation exactly how you approach it. And in some situations, it may not be safe to say anything. But when you have the opportunity, because it's someone you love, or someone you work with, or someone that you know you care about, and you care about your connection with, it's important to be able to say, "This is why." I found that way to say what you were communicating hurtful or offensive or it made me feel unsafe or whatever that is. Because until we realize, we cannot assume that other people understand the things that offend us, right? When when I was younger, if somebody told me I was fat, I would have, you know, I would have been terribly insulted. Or if somebody told me, uh, you know, I wasn't a good singer, I would have been really hurt. But as time goes on and you broaden your understanding of who you are and who you're not, you can become more tolerant because you realize other people aren't living their lives thinking about how you might feel. And that's not just because they're selfish. It's just they're living their life. Yeah. So I think we need a little bit more openness to learning. And like you said, the wondrousness, the curiosity. Oh, wow. Well, tell me why that's not a really good word. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, I talk about my husband, but he was such a lover of history. And I think what was interesting to me is as he could talk to anyone and everyone, he would be able to talk about their history. Wow. And and so and and in some cases, a lot of cases, you know, they didn't know their own history. So it became a really interesting dialogue. And, you know, me watching, you know, it's like, wow, you know, people are curious. Nobody knows all their history. Right. And then to be able to, you know, really think about other people's history that you don't know really gives you a whole new appreciation for kind of walking this earth, right? (laughs) In terms of, and so, so I love the fact, so talk to us a little bit about the narrative method and kind of what that is, where it came from, because I find this so interesting. Well, I've been interested in groups ever since I was in high school and I was depressed and some teacher noticed me. And the next thing I knew I was in free counseling one-on-one and in a group. And what I discovered was that because I was young, I was probably about 15, 
I was having these deep conversations that I would think about and really not have every, anyone to talk with about. And at that age, I started to realize that the, the depth that everyone has, if they have access to it, is so connected and so healing for all of us, in part because we can recognize ourselves in each other's circumstances. So as much as the one-on-one therapy or a one-on-one relationship provides something that no other relationship can, but so does a group, because a group represents a safe family that really cares about each individual and wants to hear them on their own terms. And if you can feel safe in that environment, talking about vulnerabilities, even if it's hard to get there, because you grow to see that it becomes safe in this environment. So that was at my core. And then I became a therapist in my late 30s. I went back to school and I loved and still love that. I'm a marriage and family therapist and I have a private practice. But in 2012, I was living in New York City, and I discovered a program at Columbia University in narrative medicine. And narrative medicine was conceived as a way to teach empathy to doctors through identifying with characters they would read about in literature. So the program was steeped in social justice in every minutia of trying to imagine what it what is just like to be the patient or the immigrant patient or a patient of color or whatever differences there might be and to take nothing for granted including it's not okay if you're a wonderful doctor but you have a callous bedside manner it doesn't work people get better when doctors have eye contact or when doctors ask us about our story But especially if it's something that we're just learning about with our health and, you know, you don't know what to ask first. If you're made to feel like you're wasting their time, it's hard to it's hard to remember what you wanted to even say. So I knew that I wanted to work with people immediately, that I I wasn't going to do something that involved, you know, here are some books to read and then come back. So I started using videos, really short videos in groups of people, whether it's veterans or just random people, people who uh, don't have homes, but people of all kinds of populations who could have a common ground based on this video that we just saw. So we'd look at a video and then people would go into breakouts and I'd give them a prompt and they would share a story that that reminded them of. So that became the core of the model. And we still do that. We do that for free on Thursday nights at 5 o'clock Pacific. And we invite everybody to come. Just sign up a second before at thenarrativemethod.org. So that's how it started. And we also uh, would include writing prompts. And so now we have separate writing groups. So there's one on Sunday mornings at 8.30 Pacific for an hour. It's short, short form. Nobody's judged. Nobody's criticized. It's just good fun. But it's really about learning to open your creative channel without getting in your own way, without fear getting in your own way. Because really, if anybody's judging anybody, it's themselves. Yeah. So we also created opportunities for people who follow us to create their own groups. Because 
you don't need a license to use your humanity. So um, we have these two decks of cards, deck one and deck two, and you can get them online at thenarrativemethod.org. And you can use these cards to create an instant group or a one-on-one with another person, or you can use them for writing prompts. So our dream is to eliminate isolation from the human condition. And that could be done. I don't know that there are any real practical steps that we could take in this moment, but why not? We just have to live in communities where people communicate and care about each other. So in a lot of ways, with through your cards, you're actually creating the opportunity to practice that skill of curiosity, um, which is awesome. I mean, I love the fact that you talk about triggering, you know, stories because everybody has a story. And, you know, you talk about your journey of how you got to where you are, but there, you know, there's something in you that brought you to that. And I think it's so wonderful when people can tap in and really understand, you know, like, how did you get here? So I love the fact, I know you, you're doing so many different things with respect to the practice. And specifically, one of the things that I love is that you're, you, take, you seem to be focused on gratitude. Yeah. Um, all the all the positives. And so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that and how you how do you how did you even get there? Well, how I got there was when my baby was an infant, we were sitting upstairs talking with an, another mom and her baby. And it was a summer day. There was an open window. I had my arm around her and just somehow in a split second. She was 90 degrees at the door, at the window. So I just went like that. She had no idea. No one in the room would have had any idea. But in that moment, time stopped. And I said to myself, what would I have done if, God forbid, she had fallen? I would be on my knees to God. Give me another chance. You know, what can I do? My life would have been over. And what I realized right then is that there are, are so many times every day when we have a close call, it could be little, it could be you didn't you didn't press send. Actually, that could be big. Or like I, I did yesterday, I stopped short, I almost hit another car. So I have made a practice in the last 25 years that every single time I almost slip the littlest or the biggest thing. And I take a moment to express my gratitude. I thank God or just thank whatever you thank. And I don't stop. I just keep going because it's worthy of that. Well, what I discovered was in addition to making me more aware, that becoming this hyper aware of your good fortune makes it impossible to see yourself as unlucky. You've survived every day so far. Many times you didn't know how you would do it. We still don't know how we're going to do it. But I think especially because life is so challenging and there are so many things that get us down that are beyond our control. To be able to take control of our awareness, to realize that we have fortune in our very life. That's where it all begins from here to here. 
I love a great it. computer. <laughs> yeah, I love that because you know it's it's so true. I think sometimes we also get caught up with something like that happening, and then we stop. Right? We don't push through to the gratitude, but we feel the you know the pain, the consequence, the trauma of it, and we kind of get stuck there in some cases. So yeah, I love, I love that. Something else. Oh, shoot. Okay, good. Now I got to go do this. <laughs> I love it. Radical gratitude. I love it. So what other, what other things can we do when we think about, you know, kind of an alternative approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion? You talk a lot about, you know, just being able to, you know, change the way we do things and interact with people, especially if they're dissimilar than us. Yeah. So with that, like how how do you know if we're working side by side with folks? I mean, I've had CEOs and other folks ask me, should we, you know, ban the discussion of politics at the office or, you know, because there's such divisive nature of opinions and things of that nature. But how do we how do we get to a place where we can actually have human connection so that we don't have to avoid each other. Absolutely. When we work with companies, the ideal thing is to work with the entire company. And depending on how large it is, you can work with sections and then all come together at a certain point. When people talk to each other and share who they really are and the experiences of their lives, they feel closer to each other. When people are all in a classroom told, don't say this, do say this, blah, 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 blah. You freeze up. It, it takes away your capacity for creative imagination. So rather than being right on the money, and by the way, there are many circumstances where it's really important to say, these are the rules, these are the parameters, but I don't think that's going to change anybody. What changes us, what opens our minds is the opening of our heart. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me where I feel like, oh, I can't stand that person. And then, I don't know, we're, we're both in the same corner for some reason. We start talking and it's like, I'm such a bitch. This is the coolest person. <laughs> and I love having that experience and being reminded that, you know, you can't judge somebody from something superficial that you're seeing. Maybe it was a bad day. Maybe they've been that way for a long time but there's always a reason. There's a wound somewhere. So when I see that happen in our groups that we work with, because people are having the experience of feeling heard and seen for who they are and and appreciated for who they are, some of their acting out or faulty perceptions really start to shift and they feel better and others feel better about them. And to me, it's just, Humans being human together, whether it's at a business or a university or any kind of group who are together in some capacity. Yeah, that shared connection really. And it's not always from a place of vulnerability, right? It can be just learning about somebody else's culture or how they grew up or any of those things that kind of tap into what I call the 3D nature, (laughs) because, you know, even when you told a story earlier and you were talking about holding your, your, your baby in your arms, 
and you know, you, you feel like you were there because you tell the story with graphic detail about the day and where you were. And you kind of, you kind of help people go there with you, which I think is part of that whole human experience, which I, I just love that you're talking about kind of storytelling and how to reframe those perceptions. Definitely. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. So are there other things that you think we could do better or that, I, you know, I always look at myself first. It's like I was, in fact, you know, trying to learn more about other cultures. I've traveled a lot, but you can always learn something about another culture. And so are there other things we could be doing to kind of transform ourselves into better people as we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion? I think that there is something that all of us, regardless of our backgrounds in Western culture, share, and probably in a lot of other cultures as well. And that is the negative impact of what we call the the cult of culture, the constant onslaught of, you know, media, social media, ads. We all know what all those things are. It is so damaging. And I have to say, this existed long before the internet, particularly for women and people of color. There were these messages of how far you can go how much you could, you were allowed to exist. And those messages were loud and clear. And I believe that when people think about all of the shame and negative messages that we all get, nobody's looks good enough, that's for sure. Nobody's smart enough. I mean, I, I, I doubt that even the billionaires think they're rich enough. But we all get this message and we don't, have a a, a typical way to process this in groups. If we did, if we talk about it, then half the people are going to say, I know I feel the same way. I really don't like looking on Facebook at all these happy people that have things that I don't have. It makes me feel badly about myself. And so, you know, nobody is impermeable. Nobody is so confident that negative especially if it's subliminal, negative messages are impactful and they hurt us. But when we can talk about that, we see that we have emotional similarities, that we are designed for the same capacity. One of the reasons that people act in racist or other judgmental ways is because they've never taken the time to take that idea out of, you know, wherever it's attached and look at it on its own merit. Is that really true? And and if not, then what has gotten in the way? Is it something I was told or taught or something I figured out from the cult of culture? But whatever those prejudices are, limit us. Forget, I don't care who you like and respect, you will be less of your potential if you can't see the world in a broader sense, 
We can't fathom what 8 billion people are. We can't fathom, you know, the earth in relation to the universe. But the closer we can get to living in awe, I'm telling you, you will be happy. So, you know, some of the the videos I, I was thinking of when you were talking about it before, but we'll look at the most fascinating science videos where you have a, a super sensitive microscope looking at a bug's head or a leaf. And it's just so fascinating. And that's mind expanding. So whether it's people from different backgrounds looking at common issues or just science or fascinating new learning, it doesn't matter. The idea is to experience new ideas together. Yeah, I love that. I had um, a, a recent guest on Vernita Naylor and her daughter, Nikita, and they co-wrote this book called Speaking in Colors. And yeah. it was all about communication and the the colors of communication, you know, and you oh, could take yeah. a test and kind of figure out, I think I was yellow and red, if I remember correctly, but they had others that were, you know, purple or blue or whatever. And it was, it, to me, it kind of reminded you a little bit about some of the personality tests, but it was specific to kind of the way you communicate and maybe you communicate differently at work versus at home or whatever. But it, you know, anytime I've ever seen somebody that really talks about storytelling the way you are to be able to generate the kind of conversation from a story, there just seems to be so much of a different connection you can make as you experience that with someone else. You just said it. (laughs) It's experience. Yeah. I mean, it's really. And so I keep thinking of my husband because I'm like, you know, I never thought, you know, the depth and the appreciation, the gratitude that I have now, of course, has been, you know, passed away now four or five years. But it is amazing to see when people do it right and they actually are able to connect how much of an impact they make on their legacy, the people they leave behind. And, you know, quite frankly, that is awesome, you know, if if you have the ability to do that. Well, and I would add to that. Yesterday, I was uh, working with a group of unhoused women and they had real diverse backgrounds. Um, and you know, people may not realize that getting into that circumstance doesn't mean you know you're a drug addict. But in any event, some people were really articulate and their stories got through in that way. But there's this one woman who just kept saying, you know, and all, all this stuff. And she said so few words. But so much came through through her affect, through her body language, her breathing, her emphasis on the words. And it, so you don't really have to be rehearsed at your, in fact, it's better if you're not, because if you're rehearsed, you're not feeling it. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't matter how good your language is. I, I've communicated with people who I don't understand a word they're saying. I mean, obviously, I don't know if they really get everything I'm thinking, but people understand certain kind of an attack or an eye contact 
or, you know, touching yourself or, or whatever it is that really sinks up your brains because we know we are hardwired to receive stories. Think of it as when your phone's not plugged in, it doesn't work and that phone needs to work. So when your receptors are not hooked into other people for too long a period of time, that's when you experience loneliness. There is nothing more important for thriving other than physical sustenance than human connection. And it's not, you know, nasty human connection. It's meaningful human connection. Yeah. I love that you talk about, you know, loneliness and, and the human connection because, I think people don't necessarily realize how powerful it can be. And, you know, like I spend a lot of time talking to, you know, CEOs, you know, a lot of networking types of events where people are networking together, but they're getting some of those human connections through coaching or networking or other things. And I just, I find it really interesting when somebody says they don't want to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and so I'm, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it's very, it's, it's odd to me because, but I think there are ways that we need to, you know, as you talk about kind of expand your mind. I think it's also the limitations of language. So right now, I mean, to say diversity, equity, and inclusion, Everybody has some idea of what that means. But to talk about getting to know people and how interesting it is when you discover people's similarities and differences, you know, it's like all of these subjects that have just become fight or flight, you know, knee-jerk reactions. You say that, I don't want to know you. I have the same reactions at times. So again, it's so important that we can forgive ourselves and offer forgiveness to other people so that rather than canceling each other when we make a mistake, trying to correct each other. Now, if somebody does something maliciously, then that's completely different. But I think we have to allow a, a range of lameness. You know, I've embarrassed myself over all kinds of things in my life. I don't like I it. I think we I'm, all have probably. <laughs> And I think it's like, if you just think about that, think about a time when somebody forgave you for an embarrassing blunder and just pay that forward. Yeah, that's awesome. Pay it forward, pay it forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go back because normally at the beginning, you know, I kind of start and talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. But I know you have such an interesting story in terms of, you know, your pivots and twists in your life. And I just wanted to maybe see if you could give us a little bit more into your background in terms of how you got to be doing this and what your journey looked like. Well, I was um, born in New Jersey and my mother had graduated high school. My father went through eighth grade and he had a terrible chip on his shoulder and he had fought in the front lines and the war and his brothers thought he, of course he would die. So they took all his stuff and he just had a series of hard breaks. That said, I wasn't there. 
And I don't know if it was the way life was sort of interpreted for him by his parents, who had lots of kids and weren't so present, or it was his own nature. But we all know of people that have had awful things happen, and they take them to another level with a determination to be the exact opposite. So... I I feel sorry, but anyway, so he was very cruel and that really uh, shaped my life. And I remember being uh, four years old thinking, I get in trouble every day, but I know I'm not that bad. And I think at that time, like I started to have an awareness of my, my soul. I, I wouldn't say that I had any awareness of, of how to call it, but that there was some sort of inner soothing capacity, you know, and and I, I at some point started to say, you know, the my life will get better the older and older I get. And it turned out that because of a lot of the defenses I had developed, I, I really was a late bloomer and, and had a lot of trouble presenting myself to the world without defensiveness. And so I wanted to be a performer and I, I did that for a bunch of years, but I, I couldn't do it full on because even though I was really confident of my talent, I was also so insecure. So it, between it being a very difficult thing to do and, and these disabilities I had myself, but the more I worked on myself and I always went to therapy, the more I started to identify the difference between the way I was seeing things and what was true. And I will say that I am still on this path. I, I, I can't even tell you when like I got there because I don't think I'm there, but I'm much more comfortable than I've ever been before. So I quit college because I worked for one day on a movie set and I came to LA and I, I just got a job, got an apartment and just struggled in kind of low level things until finally I was writing television shows and radio and, and so forth and, and doing salons, which were really the template for the workshops that we do salons where artists would come together late night clubs and connect deeply. And then there'd be a burst of a band or a poet or whatever. But at a certain point when I was writing these shows, it was fun and I was making good money for the first time, but I had this like, wah, 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 wah. this doesn't matter. So I decided to go back to school and finish my BA. And from there, I just started to realize I, I want to be a therapist. And so that's, that's what I did. And until I added on this other dimension, the narrative method, the, only other was I did something like that. Um, in 1999, I founded a program at Antioch University where I had gotten my BA called uh, the Bridge Program. And it's still going. It's a year-long course in the humanities for free for people living in poverty. So that's, that's really been a tremendous, beautiful organization with a, a wonderful impact on so so many people. Wow. That is but awesome. That, yeah. So I think, you know, all those things. And honestly, the, the greatest single influence would be my husband, who's just an incredibly loving, kind person who's just devoted to making the world a better place. And I just learned so much about him 
not from him telling me, but from his example. Absolutely. That's awesome. Nothing better than, than a living example. I, and I love the fact that you talk about, you know, just such a, such, such your journey and all of the twists and turns to it, because I think a lot of times for people that may be early in their career, you know, we've always, at least I remember being brought up and people asked me what I want to do when I grow up. And it was like, they expected one answer, one thing. (laughs) And, you know, you went through two or three, at least in your, in your story, which is awesome in terms of when we think about transitioning and connecting with people and the arts and, and really the social impact that you're talking about, which is where I'm so focused because to me, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's great if we can have an awareness of it. It's even better if we can actually make an impact and do something in the community so that we're actually curing some of these issues that we have. And also for people to know that it's a thrill. Yes. It's not some course you have to take. It's thrilling. You can see a better world. Yes, yes. And that's what's so amazing. I mean, even after, I don't know if I had mentioned this to you, but after George Floyd, we had a lot of kind of listening meetings where we would just kind of open up the conversation And it was so interesting to hear from different ethnicities on their views and their experiences, you know, immigrants coming over to the United States and their stories. I mean, it was an amazing way to actually create relationships with coworkers that I never would have before. That's so, great. so it it was an awesome experience. And I think we don't, that's not typically what you do at the office. So. But I think we should. Yeah. Because, I mean, this has really been underscored during the pandemic. That's your life too. Your life isn't before and after you go to work. And that's why, so I think that's one of the main reasons why there's been the great resignation. People want to work somewhere where what they're doing and how they're doing it matters, especially now with climate change and all the challenges that we have. We don't need more divides. If Imagine if 8 billion people were all focused on doing some particular job that they love doing toward improving the climate situation, as opposed to, I mean, I have no idea how many, but if every single person worked like ants, we'd get something done. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be awesome. Well, Sherry, it has been awesome talking to you. And I think I think we're going to be fast friends for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I'm looking forward to the narrative method the cards and and kind of just embracing i'm i'm looking forward to even your session tonight yeah um that i plan on joining so i want to uh i definitely am one of those people i'm i'm not i'm learning myself and i i think it's awesome that i can meet wonderful and fabulous people like you doing what i enjoy but also really learning 
what people are doing and, you know, celebrating you and what you're doing in the world is awesome. So I want to thank you for what you're doing. And I look forward to more conversations in the future. Me too. And I honor what you're doing. This show is so important. Thank you for doing it. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.